culinary legend Leah Chase died in 2019. Learn how her legacy lives on in literature and in food, here on Tip of the Tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're here with Duke Chase of Dookie Chase Restaurant and Carol Allen, who's out with a new book called The Life of Leah Chase, A Long Way from the Strawberry Patch. Welcome. Glad to have you you here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having. So, Carol, let's get started talking about your book. How did you decide to write it? Because I know you've already written another book that was the biography, and it was really an unauthorized biography of Leah Chase. Listen, I say like this. So what what motivated you to write yet another book? Uh, Good question. Um, The long answer is that several years ago, my agent approached me and asked me to do a book about Leah, and she recommended another book that had a special Southern chef, but it was a picture book, and I knew that that was not my thing to do, but I I was interested in doing something for younger readers, so I started working on the book, and I took it to Leah, and we talked about it a lot and talked and came up with some ideas about it. And then I put it in the drawer and forgot about it. And a few years ago, as Leah was getting up in age, I went to my publisher. I went to my publisher and I said, you know, we really need to get a book out for young readers. She is such a motivator and an idol in a way for young girls and particularly young girls of color I just believe we need to get a book out there. And they accepted the idea, and they gave me six months to write it. And I was in constant contact with the family, because by this time, the family was making a lot of the decisions. Leah was known to go off on her own. She <laughs> never, she never uh, shied from anything. But in protecting her health, the family started kind of protecting her. And so I talked with the family, told them what I wanted to do. I wanted their full support. I told them that they could read everything that was done. I would work on this with their mother. And the authorship could be either Carol Allen and Leah Chase or Carol Allen with Leah Chase. The family bought into it, and so we took off together. And we worked together on the book until about four months before she died. So that's how it came about. And so when you stopped working together, you were pretty much finished? or No. no? The notes were taken. All mm-hmm. the information was taken. I still had a lot of writing to do. Um, but but I had the information I needed. So, You know, you're talking about her being a role model. I always considered her a role model to me in, as a person who's aging because she was a person who never just said, oh, I'm, I'm an old person, so never. I'm not going to do anything anymore. And I just thought, that's the way to do it, you know. And I just really always consider her that kind of role model for me. Well, and in fact, something Duke, Duke could comment on stronger, more strongly than I could, but 
she always told me every time we were together how much she wanted to open that restaurant. She wanted to get it open again, but her family wouldn't let her. Well, her family wouldn't let her because they knew if they opened for lunch every single day, she'd be in that restaurant at 7 o'clock every morning. <laughs> and so, to again, to protect her health, they kept their schedule as it was. So how did you decide on this format? Because the book is written in a, fo- in a format that is unusual. Very it's, strange. Yeah, <laughs> so tell us about the format and tell us about how you chose that. That is a very personal situation. I don't mind sharing it at all. Um, I took all my notes and went to my daughter's house in British Columbia to spend some time alone working on this. And I would get up early every morning with my coffee and start writing. And then the next morning I would read everything that I had written the day before. And on the third day, I read what I had written over three days, more or less, and I thought, this is the most boring thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> and I, ver- I graduated from Vermont College with a master's in writing for children. So I got on my computer and I started emailing my colleagues and my professors and saying, how do you get a 10-year-old child interested in a 90-something-year-old lady? And while I was waiting for answers, I just got online and started digging up more information about Leah because the biography came out in 2002. So everything that's happened to her since Katrina, while I heard about it a lot, I never saw it in a concentrated way. So I started doing all of this research online and making notes in a notebook and just by the year, everything I could find about her. And then, frankly, I just started praying. I thought, God, you told me to do this. Now you got to find a way. And there it is. It just started happening. And then I got nervous, and I wrote one of my professors, and I said, oh, my goodness. I said, this book is taking on a format of letters to God, and I keep thinking about Judy Bloom, whose famous book, Hey, God, It's Me, Margaret, or is that title is something like that. And she wrote me back, and she said, Judy Bloom doesn't own the monopoly on letters to God. Go for it. So there it is. And you know, the interesting thing, as, as I read the book, uh, it, it, it's something my grandmother would do. It's something my family does. You know, we, we, we're huge in a faith. And, and, and not only do we talk to God, you know, we, we, I talk to my grandmother every day. So you'll walk in the kitchen and say, Grandmother, we have this coming up. Help me. I know how you would do it. I need your help. So reading that book and going through that page, I, it would it would be something she would sit down and say, oh, God, help me. I have mm. this coming up. I'm starting from St. Mary's from Madisonville. I need your help. So reading all those letters, starting with her faith, uh, that's exactly uh, the way she would, would be doing it. And it allows it all to unfold from the point of view of a young person, mm-hmm. which I think is also really important. So whatever you were worried about being bored, you know, writing a boring uh, narrative, what you've done is you've captured the voice of a young person and an attitude of a young person, which I just think is remarkable. And um, I I think you did a really wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you. And from the family side, it's amazing because not only that, you capture Leah gone through her life, right? Yes. We, We grew up with her. We know the stories and we live through some of them. But you actually, like you said, captured it from a young Leah going through in that time, in that point, uh, which is 
I wasn't here for the Madison, <laughs> you know, St. Mary story, but I can see going through with my grandmother. This is exactly what she would be feeling at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was also very touched to have the reference to the naming of the gallery mm. at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum included in this book, because I have to tell you, we were almost afraid to ask her if she would allow us to do it. And the reason we were afraid was that we didn't want her to feel that we were trying to exploit her because our idea was to honor her, but you know, it could look a little different if you uh, wanted to be very cynical about it, but we were very, very sincere. And I was just so, so pleased that she took it the way we meant it. Oh my goodness. And so I was really wonderful. And now I'm going to start to cry. (laughs) I'm almost crying too. But anyway, no, she loved that event. Well, you just see it. You see it in the pictures. You heard it in all the speakers that were there that day. I'm so glad I could be there. And, um, well, thank you so much for your help in putting it together. (laughs) But, um, that's, you know, if I could just interject something very personal, I have given birth to a daughter. I do have my own biological mother and father, but I have to say nothing else has been a greater blessing in my life than to know Leah Chase and work with her so closely and become so close to the family. I I can understand that. It's a blessing. And one of the things that was really fun about that, that event was we gave when we gave all the children paper plates because we wanted to have something that was food related, but it had to be something you could write on. So the only thing we could think of was paper plates. And the little children who were there just came in and she signed all those plates. That was so fun. It really was. Yeah, that that that's her. You know, any way she can step in and, and help out or help organization, help out the community, she would do it. Uh, no matter how much work she had done that prior day or the day before, it was just 24-7, how can I help? Uh, use me to help whatever aspect of, of this community she was. Uh, and she did that all the way up until, I would say, 90 going forward. You know, it, that was one of the things, as you alluded to earlier, is, the family started to say, wait, we, I know you're not going to slow yourself down. How can we somehow slow slow down a little bit? But that, that was her, uh, just amazing. Uh, you know, if you read this book, you're going to find inspiration all the way through it, whether it's work ethic, whether it's faith, whether it's, you know, having the confidence just to start something new. You know, we don't know everything. We learn in a, as we go along in this life, but, but it's, Part of that story is is not to uh, shy away from anything. Get out there and step out on faith and do it. You may mess up the first time, but you learn from that, and you come back, and you keep coming back, and you keep growing, and you're helping others grow along the way. So uh, that that is what she taught us as a family. That is what Miss Allen has captured in his book, uh, and that is what I enjoyed reading. And it's the kind of book that you would really feel good about giving to a, a young reader. You would say, this book is about a real person, which I think is a remarkable thing. Um, it's, it's written from the point of view of the person as they grow up, and I think that's great. And, um, 
And yet it's an exciting life because she did really live an exciting life. And I don't think she knew it. Well, you know, for her, it was just living every day. I don't think she was set out to live an exciting life, but she really did. And she just saw so much and was a catalyst for so much, whether she was trying to be a catalyst or not. And, what better kind of story can you give to a young person to read as inspiration? I mean, this is just perfect because you can learn that you can make a difference without, you know, going to the moon or something like that. And I just think that that's a fabulous, fabulous thing that you captured. Thank you so much. And of course you had a great subject to work with. I did. I did. It practically wrote itself. Yeah, but but you're exactly right on that point. Is is a great story to share with with people, uh, kids and and adults, because mm-hmm. it shows you that someone's normal work. Right. My grandmother always say, "I just cook," but she touched the lives of so many, so many communities, so many uh, different organizations. And in her mind, she was just doing her normal routine, her right, work. I'm cooking. Right. I'm feeding the family. I'm feeding this. But she fed the nation, uh, and, and that's what you get from that story. Your, your normal job that anybody would think they would be doing, if they do it right and have that passion, it'll be amazing how many folks you touch uh, and be an inspiration to. Yeah, and it reminds me, too, of like Gus Blosh's, uh, Blosh's um, paintings of her doing the most ordinary things in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and it's so perfect that she's in the National Portrait Gallery. I mean, just amazing um, that what she has done to give work real dignity is just unbelievable. So speaking of work, (laughs) (laughs) your turn. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about the restaurant now. Um, and um, sort of in the middle of this pandemic and all of that, and uh, what your plans are, what is it that the family is going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, so the, the beautiful thing about, about my family and Dookie Chase Restaurant is it is a family business. When you come in, you're going to see uh, multiple members of my family in that business, which is great. Right now, we, you know, my Aunt Stella is the lead. Uh, my dad comes in and my Aunt Leah as well. So my grandparents' children are the lead. Then you'll find me in the kitchen and my cousin Tracy and a whole host of other cousins uh helping operate the day-to-day business. But right now where we are is we're planning for the future. We're open. You know, we introduced a new menu, and when I say new, it's not brand new, right? This is things we had in place while my grandmother was living. But it's bringing back to what Dookie Chase was back in the day when we were open for dinner uh, throughout the night, and people can come in and order redfish, and they can get uh, pompano, and they can get duck, and they can get griots, and they can get our stuffed chicken breast with oyster dressing. Then it's gone back to where my grandfather was at the bar. So my cousin Eve, she's revitalized our whole bar menu, some with new, some with some of the uh, items that he had back when he was here. And, and now we paired some food along with that bar menu, so we're getting the bar back up and going uh, when we can. We are renovating the upstairs dining room, which was huge during the civil rights uh, mm-hmm. era, and, and, and you had both black and white civil rights leaders able to meet upstairs at the time, which was illegal. 
So it's really getting back to what the community knows Dookie Chase is. Uh, You know, we say new, but it's not anything new. It's what my grandparents and and their parents created. It's it's really getting back to our roots and and, and pushing that forward. So are you still doing... um the, the pickup, any pickup that you Yeah, so right now we, we, we still have our takeout business going Tuesday through Friday from 11 to 3. You mm-hmm. can come and eat inside for lunch and dine in with the same Tuesday through Friday from 11 to 3. We are open for Friday dinner uh, from 5 to 9. We're getting ready to add a Saturday dinner from 5 to 9. And then we'll pick up a Thursday and we'll gradually expand our hours as, as, as we get out of this pandemic. And so do you have other cousins who are working uh, as uh, wait staff or doing uh, any of that sort of thing? Yes, we do. I can tell you we have the fifth generation in, in the kitchen at, <laughs> at Dookie's, uh, and that's uh, my niece, Zoe. Uh, we also have the fifth generation uh, bussing tables and serving tables. So anytime you come in, in that restaurant, you're going to have a generational piece with, with my father and my aunt Stella and, and, and then me as the the fourth, and we'll have the fifth generation, which is huge because when you think about business continuity and you think about Dookie Chase, we want to be here forever. So as as we're excited to see that fifth generation excited to come into business, we're excited to see even the sixth generation when they're looking around and having fun and asking questions about the restaurant, just as we were when we were their age. That excitement lets us know this is something that will continue to thrive forward. And so do you think that as the family gets bigger and bigger, which it always will, um, that you're going to have to have more branches of Dookie Chase in order to sustain it as a family business? Because the family, the whole, whole family can't be sustained by uh, the restaurant. Yeah, so that that was part of, you know, my thought when when I really came into the business. And as you all know, we have Leah's Kitchen in the airport and a host Mm -hmm. of others. It's really, to touch on your point, you know, our family wants, everybody wants to be involved in this business, which is great. Now we have to find those avenues where everybody can play a role and and, and be sustainable within their family. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's, whether it's another restaurant, whether it's uh, different uh, venues within this hospitality industry, we are definitely looking to grow. Uh, But we all realize that we have to, we have to sustain what we have, right? Dookie Chase Restaurant is our foundation, is our family. It is who we are. So once we get that foundation and building blocks straight, uh, which it is, our grandparents did a magnificent job of creating us with a brand to hand off to us. So we had that part easy. But it's now to grow strategically in in, in different avenues. And and you'll see we'll continue to do that. And so how much of the story of Dookie Chase and its evolution, Dookie Chase, the restaurant, not mm-hmm. person. Um, how, how much does that continue to play in and how can you continue to tell the story as it evolves um, as opposed to just, I go there because it has the best food kind of thing. Yeah. And, 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 and Dookie Chase restaurant has always been, and, and us as a family has always treated as more than a restaurant, right? We want to create an experience. We want to tell a story. We have to be a part of this community. So when, when you go into Dookie Chase restaurant, of course, you're going to see the artwork on the walls. And that's something we're getting ready to touch on is, is really how can we showcase up-and-coming African-American art. You know, we, we have a lot of art on our walls that we own, but we, we're now really looking at two walls 
to say these are going to be showcasing pieces for revolving artists. The other part is just making sure we, we always uh, do what we did before in the community. Right now it's voting rights, and we're talking about voting rights. We're talking about social justice. We're talking about all the things that my grandparents did back in their day. So we're always going to be a part of the community. The restaurant is always going to be bigger than food. It's going to be bigger than the entertainment and the hospitality that we provide people when they walk in the door because it serves a different purpose for us. Uh, it serves a community purpose. It serves a how can we utilize this restaurant to better our community. Okay. And so it it reminds me a little bit about a conversation I had with your with your grandmother once when I was asking her how she sort of – I don't want to use the word coerced because that's not exactly the right word, but how she I basically sweet-talked the, uh, the police to turn their heads when this was basically a biracial restaurant, or at least partially, um, at a time when that was illegal. And um, her answer to me was gumbo. That's right. <laughs> you know, you, Food brings a lot of people to the table. And and what we want to get back, and I know a lot of groups are focusing on bringing people back to the table for family meals, even at their house. But when, when you can sit somebody down and have a great meal with them, regardless if we ever agree, you're going to hear the other side. You're going to hear the other point of view. It's going to enlighten you of where you're coming from, and you should learn where I'm coming from, right? We walk in different shoes. We grew up differently. So you have to understand that other side to see the point of view that they're coming from. Uh, and, and we believe that everybody's not coming from a bad angle. They just may be ignorant or don't understand the angle that we're coming from. We all may try to get to point A. You're just going to go about it differently because you were raised and went through different life experiences than I did. So if, if we can start that we're getting to point A and I can understand where you're coming from, then we can find some common ground and we, we can work to get into all of our goal. So it reminds me of gumbo um, because if you grow up in New Orleans, of course, the best gumbo is always your mother's gumbo or your oh, well, aunt's gumbo you. or not your mother's I'm gumbo. I'm going to claim it though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet you eat gumbo at other people's houses and it's different from, it's always going to be different. I mean, nobody else is going to make the same gumbo. But you know it's gumbo when you eat it. You don't say, what is this? You just know it's gumbo, even though it's different from your gumbo. And that, to me, is so sort of emblematic of a lot about what food means in New Orleans and what it means about joining us together is that you you can say this gumbo is good. It doesn't have to taste like the gumbo you know for you to enjoy it and like it and appreciate it. And then you have this other person's gumbo and yet this other person's gumbo. And so every place you eat, especially if you're eating in their homes, you are tasting something really different, different ingredients, everything is different about it. And yet you still know it's gumbo and it's that gumbo that unites us in, in a way and where you really recognize that it doesn't have to be like this one. It's just, you can still like it. You can still think it's good. And I always feel that when people grow up um, outside of Louisiana, let's say, but they have 
family from New Orleans, and so they eat gumbo on special occasions or something like that. The only gumbo they ever taste is the gumbo that their family makes because they don't live someplace where they can just go to the house across the street and have gumbo too. And so they come here and they don't necessarily appreciate that everybody's gumbo can be good, even when it's different. And that's the thing I love about New Orleans. The other thing that happened, which I think is kind of fun, is that a friend of mine and I got all dressed up, and we went into a high-rise. This was like an informal test that we were doing. Um, and we, were, we carried briefcases inside of an elevator in the high-rise. And you know elevator protocol where you face the doors, and then if you're further back, you face the back of the head of the person standing in front of you. And nobody really talks in the elevator. Well, we got in the elevator and we started to talk about where you could get the best roast beef po'boy. And we were just arguing with each other about it and everything. And in, I mean, less time than it took for him to go to the next floor, everybody in the elevator is talking about it. This is where I go. This is what I like. And it didn't matter whether it was the janitor who was pushing the bucket with the mop to the next floor and, and using the elevator. We did it, and the, ele- the, the janitor felt like he could join in the conversation. And I just love that about New Orleans, that everybody feels that their opinion about food is as valid as the next person's. And it's just this great equalizer. It just makes everybody, and, and nobody's afraid to say what they think <laughs> about it. <laughs> And if I could interject, oh, I don't please. know if it's in this book or not, but it, I know it's in the first in the biography. Um, once Leah was uh, talking with me, and she was telling me that some people came out to inter- with people came to interview. I can only imagine if Leah was alive during everything we're going on right, what right now, because every journalist in the city would be asking her opinion about the pandemic, the riots, the protests, the everything. Um, and somebody came out and said, well, Miss Chase, what is that special ingredient in your gumbo? And she said, love. And I think that's true. That's her. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, we, she had a quote that, that touches me, uh, especially during these times. And I wish I had it in front of me, but, but I'm probably going to misquote it. But it was on the lines of, you know, looking at people or understanding people is like looking at artwork. You may not understand it at the time. You may disagree with it. But as you look closely and you start to understand it and you start to look at that point of view, you begin to like it. You begin to understand it. And it's really about educating it and putting yourselves and looking at what is this person trying to tell me? What are they trying to teach me? How can I learn? How can I open up my mind to understand what message are they clearly trying to get through to us? And, and, and it all comes from a place of love in her heart. Uh, and, and it should always come from that no matter where it's coming from. Uh, and we'll be a better place. Well, thanks so much to both of you. The book is available on a website, which you can find in the notes. And Dookie Chase Restaurant is now open on Friday nights. And Friday soon nights, to be, soon to be Saturdays. Yes. Please come see us. Okay. Thanks so much to both of you for Thanks, being here. Thanks, Liz. It's Thank great. you. Thanks. It's great to share.
Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Please come by when you are in New Orleans, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Liz Williams.